Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to our online service. We're glad that you're joining us and look forward to seeing many of you in person as you feel comfortable. We're meeting now on Saturday night and Sunday night at 6.30 out in the field. It's getting shady out there, and we'd love to see you and look forward to seeing you face-to-face. In the meantime, I want to just mention something. Uh, we do have a newcomer's gathering, and, and many of you may heard the word gathering. It's going to be a Zoom gathering, but you can, as Benjamin mentioned, check online to find out a little bit more about how to get a part of that. So with that in mind, let's move into our message this morning. We've been doing a series on the church, and we said that this church is God's forever family, this this group that Christ said he would build. And we've talked about membership in the church. We've talked about the doctrines and teaching of the church. Last week, we talked about leadership in the church. And this morning, I want to talk about fellowship in the church. And I want to begin by reminding you that the Bible uses at least three metaphors to describe the church. In fact, an easy way to remember that is they all begin with B. Sometimes the church is called the bride of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 5, it says that the church is his bride and he's going to present it to himself spotless. And so there's this aspect of the purity of the bride. The church is also called a building. In Ephesians 2, it says we're being built together into a dwelling of God. But the one I want to refer to at this point, also in Ephesians, in chapter 1, the church is called the body of Christ. And what a wonderful metaphor for this community of believers because a body is connected to a head which controls it. A body also has a sense of unity as it works together, but a body also has diversity. The members are different. So as we think about the church as the body of Christ, I think that's a good way to think of this idea of fellowship. So The first verse I want us to look at this morning is in Acts chapter 2, in verse 42. It's in this verse that we learn in the context that Peter had just preached a powerful message, and 3,000 people got converted in one sermon. This vast throng of people got saved, and they were baptizing them left and right. But verse 42 says, they were continually devoting themselves... And then it mentions four things. Let's look at them. They were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, that would be to doctrine, as Pastor John preached recently. They devoted themselves to fellowship, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. What does that mean, to devote yourself to fellowship? They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, which would be a regular celebration of the Lord's table, and then they devoted themselves to prayer. Now, this isn't the only things that they did. Next week, Benjamin's going to talk about worship in the church, which is very important. But this morning, we want to begin by asking the question, what is fellowship? I remember as a new Christian being at an outing, and this gentleman was speaking, and he said, you know, fellowship is two fellas on the same ship. And while that's kind of cute and colloquial, it doesn't probably capture quite enough of of what the New Testament teaches when it talks about fellowship. For those of you who have heard the the Greek word, you you might recognize this Greek word koinonia. Sometimes there are churches or or 
small groups or young adults that are called koinonia. The word itself has a number of meanings. First of all, it has the idea of a close relationship. So a fellowship could be a close relationship, even a relative or even a marriage. It also has the idea of an association where, where you're sort of a partner with someone. And it, in addition, has the idea of sharing. So you kind of look at those words and it says, they devoted themselves to fellowship. So what, what exactly did that look like? I think sometimes as Christians, we sell ourselves short because we, we tend to think of fellowship as getting together. Um, reminds me of a story I heard of a, a little boy that, that, that was asked, you know, what, what do you think of when you think of your church? And uh, he, he brought to school uh, a little casserole dish. And he said, we're Baptists, and we get together for fellowship. And so many times people think of fellowship as just sitting around a table and sharing food. But there's so much more to it. And so I want, want you to think of fellowship as this sharing in this common life that we have with Christ. And so as you think of it this way, it's not really just because I get together and play cards with Christians or just to, because we go to a ball game together or we just hang out for a barbecue. There's a little bit more involved in the concept of Christian fellowship. And so I want to move to, to try to address three key aspects of Christian fellowship. So as you think about this idea of sharing and being devoted to fellowship, the first aspect of, of true Christian fellowship is that true Christian fellowship is sharing the life of Jesus. Sharing the life of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1.9 is, is a good example of this. It's a couple times in the New Testament where the authors sh- sort, of, sort of show this. 1 Corinthians 1.9 says this, God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. I was called into this fellowship with his son. So, so the point I want you to think about here is that fellowship, before it's an activity, it's a relationship. I share the life of Jesus. He has imparted his life to me. In fact, John worded it this way in 1 John 1, in verse 3. Let's take a look at that verse. He says, What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also so that you may have fellowship with us. So he's inviting others to join in that fellowship. But then he says this, Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So it's really interesting to think about that. There's no such thing as Christian fellowship until I first am sharing in a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus. In fact, the very essence of knowing Jesus is the heart and soul of of eternal life and what fellowship is. Jesus said in John 17, he said, Father, I give eternal life to those whom you've given to me. And this is how he defined eternal life. He said, this is eternal life that they know God and his son, Jesus Christ. So I just want you to stop and and savor that for a moment. The, the, The heart and soul of our fellowship is this personal relationship we have with Jesus. Uh, 
So it, it reminds me of leaning on the everlasting arms. What a fellowship, what a joy divine, leaning on the everlasting arms. What a blessedness, what a peace is mine, leaning on the everlasting arms. So we belong to, to one another because we have this Holy Spirit DNA as we share in our life of Jesus Christ. But there's a second aspect to this sharing. It's not just a shared life of Christ, but it's also a shared love and support of each other. So it starts with Jesus shares his life with me. He comes to live in me. I live in him. I abide in him. He's the vine and I'm the branch. But then, then, then it goes out into the horizontal sphere and I begin to express a shared love and support of fellow Christians because they share in the same life of Jesus that I share, it's only natural that I'm then going to share in a fellowship with them. And so the idea here is that as believers, we help each other, we support each other. This is part of what Christian fellowship looks like. In fact, in Hebrews 13, verse 16, this word koinonia is used, but it's not translated fellowship. It's interesting. Let's take a look at this verse. The author is telling the, the Christians, he says, do not neglect doing good and sharing. Now, isn't it interesting here? Same word, koinonia, but it's not translated fellowship. It's translated sharing. So this is the aspect I want you to think about. If, if you're uh, practicing Christian fellowship, one aspect of that is that you share your stuff. Maybe you become aware of someone who has a need, uh, a car, or just some practical things. You help them with their yard, or, or, or some physical or material thing. As we share these things, that's an aspect of Christian fellowship. We're supporting one another. By the way, notice what this verse says. As we do good and we share or fellowship and, and we make sacrifices to bless others, it says, with such sacrifices, God is pleased. But there's a third aspect to Christian fellowship. It's not just sharing in the life of Christ and it's not just sharing love and supporting others, but the third aspect involves a shared living for the same purpose. In other words, we share a common purpose. We're like a band of brothers who have mutually agreed, and, 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 and perhaps the best way to explain this particular aspect of fellowship is it's almost like a partnership. So think, for example, when two people dream up an idea for a business, and then they decide that they're going to join together with this common goal, this partnership, and they're going to move together towards this accomplishment. So in the early church, biblical fellowship had an idea of an active partnership to accomplish goals and purposes. And it's interesting, there was another word that's similar in, in aspect to koinonia. It was the word metatakos. And that word 
was often translated as a partner or a partnership. In fact, in the Gospel of Luke, as Luke described Peter and then James and John, the two brothers, they had a partnership together, uh, a fishing partnership, and both words were used, both koinonos and metakos were used in Luke 5, 7 to 10. So you can think of these three guys who had decided to partner together in the fishing business. I suppose at times they had disagreements when you're in a partnership. Maybe they disagreed as they caught their fish, whether they should tithe from their gross or from their net. I'm just going to let that go. But in addition, when, when it comes to the, the spiritual realm, there's also a partnership that Christians have in accomplishing certain goals. So, for example, this is a really interesting verse. I want you to look with me at Philippians 1, verses 3 to 5. Paul says, I thank God in my remembrance of you. But he goes on to say, in view of... Now, the New American Standard Bible says your participation in the gospel. But there's that word again, koinonia. So he could, the King James says, I thank God for your fellowship in the gospel. It could have said, I thank God for your sharing in the gospel. But here he says, I thank God for your participation in the gospel. So when you think of a relationship, you think of family believers together as a community. So we have this relationship with God and Jesus. But when you think of a partnership, then you start thinking, wait a minute, we have to obtain objectives. It has to have a profit for the partners. There has to be some common goals. And so I want you to stop and think to yourself, do we as Christians share common goals? Are we all pulling in the same direction or Do we have different people on the team or in the business who sort of are all going their own way? Well, let me suggest that we ought to all be partnering together towards three common goals. If you're a Christian, you need to be part of this fellowship, this partnership of these common goals that every member of the body of Christ should have in the forefront of their mind. The first common goal that Christians should have is to reach lost people. And this is why Paul, as he wrote the book of Philippians, one of the things he noticed about them is as they got saved, very early on, they joined Paul with a burden for other people to come to know the Lord. In fact, Paul said to the church at Philippi, you were the first church that actually gave me money to support me so that I could take the gospel out to other churches. So when he wrote this letter to the Philippians, this thank you note that he mentions that they had sent him another gift. He says in the beginning, I'm so thankful for your partnership, your participation in the gospel. So what he had in mind there is, you guys as a church, you get it. You're standing with me with the goal of of trying to reach people. And here we are at Riverstone, and I trust that more and more God is reinforcing and inspiring through the Spirit of God a burden in all of us to reach people, starting with our own families, 
but then in concentric circles going out to reach our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers, the people in Trenton, the people in Bristol, and on and on these circles go to the people of Syria, all over the world as we're sending missionaries, as we're praying and supporting the Lord's work. Our goal, our partnership in the gospel is to reach people for Christ. But that's not the only aspect of Christian fellowship when it comes to our partnership. The second goal that we all have to remind ourselves is as a part of the body of Christ, my fellowship means that I want to help other Christians grow. I cannot simply be a log. I cannot simply be a person who takes up a, a seat in the auditorium. But rather, there's this active sense that, hey, if I'm a partner in this business, if I'm a partner in this enterprise, then I have a job to do. And part of my job is to win people to Christ. But part of my job is to help others to grow. Now, you know that our, our mission is to advance the gospel, making disciples who make disciples. Well, how do we make disciples? By helping people to grow into the image of Christ. Here's a really good verse to kind of illustrate this, this commonality of purpose. It says in Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, imagine how radical that shift is from the consumer mentality that many American Christians have. How often do you hear people say, oh, I didn't get much out of that, or I'm not getting much out of the worship, or I'm not getting much out of the message? The point of gathering with other Christians is not just for what you get, it's also for what you've come to give. And so, if I'm going to stimulate other people to love and good deeds, that means I probably need to be thinking about them during the week, praying for them, interacting with them, and then as I can, as he says, encouraging them. So, this takes some, some effort. This doesn't happen accidentally. I start thinking about people that I know, Christians, who are in my sphere of influence, people I interact with, and, and I have to think to myself, what am I doing to stimulate them? To, and, and sometimes that means calling them up and saying, hey, I haven't seen you for a while. Is everything okay? Or letting them know, hey, I really appreciate how you've been doing this, or hey, I'm praying for you. I know you're going through that hard time, but, but make it your, your purpose to go, hey, there's a partnership here that we're sharing to help other Christians grow. And then the third agreed upon goal, and I think this kind of goes without saying, but I'll say it anyway, is our purpose is to glorify God. As, as the body of Christ, the Bible tells us that whatever we do in word or deed, we're to do all in the name of Jesus. We're to glorify God both individually and corporately. So, so when we get together and we sing with one accord, the Bible says we're glorifying God with one voice. 
But then as we go out to our homes during the week, we glorify God through our service and our, our, our lifestyle and our love and our interaction with other Christians. And so that leads me to the last thing that I want us to think about for a few moments, and that is this. Then how do I, like those saints in the, in the New Testament, if, if it says that they devoted themselves, devoted themselves to fellowship, then how do I do that? If, if, if fellowship starts with a shared relationship with Christ and shared support, but then it leads into a shared partnership where we all have the same goal in mind, how do I do that? How do I devote myself to fellowship? Well, I'd like to suggest that there's three things we can do. First, and this has to be first, is you and I need to be devoted to our fellowship with the Lord Jesus. If I'm spending a whole lot of time doing things for Jesus, but I'm spending very little time with Jesus, then I've lost my way. In fact, this happened to the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. Jesus said, I know your deeds. You're, you're busy. You're active. You test the doctrine. You cast out false teachers. But, but he says, but this is what I have against you. You left your first love. So remember from where you have fallen and do the deeds that you did at first. In other words, come back to making your relationship with me first and foremost. I'm reminded of the Gospel of Luke, a great example of, of, of a well-meaning Christian, Martha, who was very busy, but she had lost the primacy of just fellowship with Jesus, just spending time with him. Look with me in Luke chapter 10. Now, this is familiar, but, but yet, how often do I hear Christians say, oh, I'm so busy, I just don't have time to spend with Jesus. If you're too busy to spend time with Jesus, then you're too busy. You need to change. There's a prioritization that is out of whack, and the only person that can change it is you. We all have 168 hours in the week. We choose the things that we value. So let's look at Luke 10 for a moment. It says, she had a sister, verse 39, called Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet listening to his word. That's an illustration of fellowship. Just getting alone with the Lord, opening up your Bible, just praying over it, letting the Holy Spirit speak to us, maybe reading a devotional, listening to a, a blog, you know, just being encouraged as I, as I listen to the Lord, maybe listening to some Christian music, and then talking to him, you know, praying over the passage and saying, Lord, that that really spoke to me or that really encouraged me or Lord, thank you for correcting me and bringing our petitions before him and thanking him and worshiping him. So she's sitting at his feet, but verse 40 says, but Martha was distracted with all her preparations. Now she wasn't making preparations for some self-centered narcissistic enterprise. She was trying to make a nice dinner for Jesus. And so she came up to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all this serving alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and he said to her, Martha, Martha, and maybe he's saying to you, Linda, Linda, or 
John, John, or Tom, Tom, you're worried and bothered about so many things. But only one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen the good part. So in order to devote myself to fellowship, I want to start by saying I have to have a devoted time to work on my relationship and enjoy my relationship with Jesus. But then secondly, if I'm going to be devoted to fellowship, I start with devoting myself to Jesus, but then I secondly devote myself to regular relationships. Now let me say it again. Devoting myself to regular relationships. Back in January, we did a brief series on the values of our church. And one of those values revolved around this idea of relationships. And so if you were to go to our webpage and you went to about, you would be able to scroll down and find our values. But I want to read it to you just to reinforce the significance of regular relationships. And I really like this phrase. It says, a follower, being a follower of Jesus is always personal, right? But then it says, but it's never private. It's personal, but not private. Discipleship happens in the context of a commitment to a local church, you ready for this? In which we can be devoted to one another in love. This means that we encourage everyone in our congregation, now hear, hear this carefully, to be devoted to regular relationships with other Christians. Relationships in which you can love, serve, encourage, teach, and grow. So, some of you are doing well at this, but many of you have really kind of lost your way in this. And, and God, I pray, is speaking through me to encourage you to say, I really need to get busy with this. By the grace of God, I want to yield to the Holy Spirit. Only through Christ I can do this. But I know that's what he wants me to do, is to be devoted to regular relationships. So let me give you a starting point. Ask yourself, do you have any other Christians with whom, if nothing else, you can regularly call them on the phone. You know, at least once a week, just call them up and, and just see how they're doing and, and build that relationship. Or maybe text them, not just, hey, how you doing, but to begin to cultivate a relationship with text. Or even better, to Zoom with them. There's, there's something about being able to see someone. The other day, Keith Plummer and I, I hadn't seen him for a couple months while I was up in Maine, it was just a blessing. Instead of just talking on the phone, we just, we just began to Zoom so that we could see each other. And so to be devoted to, to regular relationship means that you're committed to maybe Zooming with someone. And then, how about this? When and if you're comfortable to begin to get together with someone. So uh, I understand some of you are being very cautious and getting together with someone doesn't mean that you need to sit in the same chair. You could, you could sit 10 feet away from them with a mask on, but you could meet up at a park. There's really something to be said. And, and again, I don't want to intrude on your desire to, to be safe, but there's something to be said about actually gathering with other people. 
So, as you think about that, begin to ask yourself, if I'm gonna be devoted to relationships, are you ready, willing, to open up and talk with someone about your relationship with the Lord? Now, this is radical. So, I could come over your house, we could eat fried chicken, we could talk about the eagles, we could talk about the weather, we could talk about politics, we could talk about vaccinations, we could talk about school, we could talk about global warming, but we haven't had fellowship until we talk about the Lord and our relationship with Him. And so, while that might sound very frightening, it ought to start even in your marriage where you can ask your spouse, Hey, how are you doing? What can I pray for you? Now, one of the reasons we don't want to do that, what intimidates us, is we recognize that they're going to ask us. And that's where we have to be vulnerable and willing and open to say, hey, I'm struggling. Could you pray for me in this area? I feel like the devil's really tempting me, or I'm, I'm, I'm lazy, or I'm lustful, or I'm bitter, or um, I, I don't like someone. So let's, let's pray that we will really devote ourselves to talking to others. Now, we try to provide opportunities for that. We, we invite you, if you are not connected with any small group, go online, send us an email. We're constantly trying to help you to find a small group to connect with. Many of you are connected. Some of you are meeting in person now. Some of you are meeting by Zoom. But keep that going. Be unmovable in the work of the Lord. And also bear in mind that the, someone once said the only difference between a clique and a small group is whether you're in it. So if you already are connected and are fellowshipping with other Christians, just be conscious as you meet Christians, new believers or other people in our church to see what you can do to help them get connected. Something as simple as just having them over or giving them a phone call or shooting them an email, just letting them know that you care about them and you want to help them to find friends in the church. So I don't want you to think of this regular relationship as you have to join a small group. It could be something as simple as a commitment to get together once a week for coffee with someone or to just have a Zoom Bible study and say, hey, let's read the Gospel of John together and then we'll talk and pray together. So, the second aspect of how we do that is we devote ourselves to regular relationships. But then the third one, and this is interesting because it's, it's kind of like a two-edged sword. If I'm going to devote myself to fellowship with Jesus and other Christians, that means I also have to devote myself to avoiding something. And that is I have to devote myself to walking in the light. I have to devote myself to trying, by God's grace, to turn away from sin and to, to walk a life of humility and quickly confessing my sins. And this comes out in two passages that I want to close with. The first passage is in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. The Apostle Paul was concerned that, that the Corinthians were getting heavily involved with unbelievers and it was hindering their relationship with God. And so he said to them, do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what koinonia has righteousness 
and lawlessness. In other words, what fellowship has righteousness and lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? So, you're really not walking in fellowship with God and others if you're living a secret life of darkness. In fact, the Apostle John had a similar thought as the apostles all taught the same thing, that what it means to follow Christ is a willingness to turn from sin. God changes my heart. I'm born again. I'm washed. I'm forgiven. I'm a follower of Christ. And now I begin with others to walk in fellowship. But if I'm going to be in fellowship, I have to consistently be willing to acknowledge, confess, and turn away from sin. So John says in 1 John 1, 5, he says, this is the message we heard from God, that God is light. There's no darkness in him at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we're lying. See, I can't really have fellowship with other Christians if I'm having an affair or getting drunk or harboring secret sins of which I'm not seeking to turn away from them getting help. But walking in the light doesn't mean I'm perfect. He says, but if we walk in the light, his son Jesus cleanses us through his blood. And so walking in the light is just a humility that says, I'm trying to, to follow Jesus. Pray for me. I want to depend on, on the gospel blessings that I have. I want to encourage you. A book that's helpful in encouraging one another to grow and turn away from sin is a book that we've been recommending called gospel fluency learning to speak the gospel into one another's life and so as we close today's time in the word thank god for the gift of a relationship with jesus and let's make it our purpose that like the early church we're going to devote ourselves to fellowship first to our relationship with jesus and then to our relationship and partnership with other christians we're going to seek to, to pray and witness and get the gospel out we're going to try to help each other to grow but then we're also going to be devoted to regular relationships and we're going to be devoted to regularly trying to turn away from sin. What fellowship has darkness with light? Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time that we could worship, pray, and listen to scripture. Father, during this time of the COVID, many people have been torn apart and have not gathered with others. And there's a real danger, Lord, that our hearts can be hardened and deceived. When we disconnect from others, Lord, we, we, we lose our compass, we lose our way. So cause us as a church, each one of us, to be devoted to fellowship, to start making those phone calls, even if it's inconvenient, to regularly talk with others about our fellowship, to regularly pray for others, and to regularly try to apply scripture to our lives. Thank you that the Lord Jesus is building our church, and so many people are sharing and participating in gospel fellowship. So we look forward, Lord, to the comfort and fellowship of the Holy Spirit that you will provide to us, and may we share that life as John said, that fellowship with the Father, that our joy might be filled. Fill your church with joy today 
In Jesus' name, amen.